Bonjour. I'm Terrence Galenter, your American friend in Paris, coming to you almost live and almost every week from Café Terrence in Paris's Troisième Arrondissement. This program is being sponsored by a generous contribution from the Billy Cohn Collection. Well, on the line with me from uh, the San Francisco Bay Area is Carol Bumpus. Carol, it's been about a year, and I'm delighted to have you back on the program. Thank you. Thank you so much. And it has been just about, well, not quite. Um, I've had two books that have come too close together, <laughs> but that's, I guess that's a good thing. So I, I guess so. Yeah, which, uh, you know, uh, your career began with a cup of redemption. And I remember sitting on the terrace of the uh, cafe floor with you. And and frankly, at that at that time, and you can talk about that book in a second, I thought this might have been a one-off. I didn't realize that you had a writing career in you because you had been a uh, a family therapist prior to retirement. That's right. Talk about, a, just briefly, about A Cup of Redemption. So I want to talk about Italy today. Okay, well, um, A Cup of Redemption was really a culmination of some of the interviews I had done for Italy and France, but it was interviewing one particular elderly French woman who um, was um, born on the last day of World War One in France and died right after 9-11. But she lived through a very precarious time during World War II and was a single mom, and her struggles were something that I absolutely could not put that story behind me. And so I decided to focus on her story alone first before I wrote any of the rest of the stories. And um, that was a long process of trying to sort that out. But that's how uh, A Cup of Redemption came into being. So that was book number had, one. Had you intended it to be a book? Because I, I, what had been your experience with writing prior to the, outside of taking notes from your patients? None. <laughs> okay. Zip. <laughs> so. Not a, not a, not Right. In fact, I think, well, in fact, now going into um, the Italian book that I'm uh, releasing this month, um, that was actually my first um, entry into even thinking about writing. And so I had actually taken this particular trip with my husband um, through Italy, and it was in with those interviews with Lisa Young that really caught my attention and really made me want to write about the traditions and the families and um, their foods, that type of thing. And so it was it culminated there first in Italy, and then I continued on and did probably about 45 or more interviews throughout Italy on different ventures, and also about 75 in, in France. And the majority of them were really centered around um, the story that I that ends up in A Cup of Redemption. But um, some of those stories could not fit into that book. So I um, released them as the beginning of the Savoring the Old Ways, books one and two. And uh, that was searching for family and traditions at the French table. And so it was that, that part of it. So, well, so, so in effect, uh, this, this book now, which is the last in the series, was the first in terms of the experience. Correct. Correct. Well, I also, I, I think there's another venue that you're going to be writing in. I notice on chapter four, and I will uh, 
I will imitate your voice here when I read this. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, you, uh, maybe you know where I'm going with this. Hold on a second. <laughs> yes, uh, you you walk into a minuscule Milanese uh, lingerie shop, oh. and uh, as you say, yes. as I moved around the tables piled high with silken goodies, I found that each item I touched possessed incredible softness. It was like touching pastel clouds, pale pink, luscious lemon, tantalizing tangerine. They were unlike anything I'd ever beheld, much less worn. Once my mind seized on the notion that I, too, could wear something as fine as this, well, there was no stopping me. So I think the next series is going to be uh, <laughs> Culinary Pleasures of Erotica. <laughs> I, I was waiting for something entirely different, you know, after reading. That's like about page five in the book, Carol. Well, I think there is some connection, you know, between uh, between passion and food. Oh, it's it's so connected. It's so connected. Yes, (laughs) you know, Um, all the um, all of the senses that we have really all connect together. Um, How we smell um, aromas or take take things in. How what we see. It all just culminates, and especially, I think, in food. And it's just, it's something that connects with people and connects with their history, their past, and um, and it brings you right back full circle to what um, what is love, you know, you what you love. And that can be sexual pleasure or whatever passion that mm-hmm. you choose. But it is, it's all there together. I didn't go down that road, though, did I? <laughs> Well, yeah. I, you know, you didn't write about it. If you did, I'll have to talk, have to, talk to Winton on a uh, on a private call. Yes, well, I think he would see what he'll what he'll share with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one of the things in reading all of your books, uh, it feels almost as if you've channeled the cultures you're writing about, which is to say, to me, uh, the French are very intellectual. You know, with all their great reputation for being so sexy. Uh, they live in their brains, and the sexiest thing between two French people is to have a conversation uh, about uh, Pascal or uh, a Montaigne. Now, that may eventually lead to sex, but it may take three days. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, the Italian are just, you know, boom, 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 boom. I go to Italy. I feel like, you know, the second day I walk into a, into a tavola, ah, signore galente, buona noce, pa, 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 pa. And in reading you, I felt that you're, uh, writing about the French was measured in a way, and you're writing about the Italian, you were just like exploding, like something had... Uh, so how does a girl from Nebraska uh, get to that understanding? Well, Because you are from Nebraska, right? I am. I am. I grew up there. Yes. Where? Um, in Kearney, Nebraska, which is right smack in the center of the country. In fact, well, I used to do, I used to do business with a, a store called J M McDonald that had outposts all over Nebraska. Oh wow! In little towns like that. Well, there used to be um, an old World War II um, ballroom that was out at the side of the um, city limits, and it was called I think 1733 Ballroom. And it meant that it was that number of miles to San Francisco and that number of miles to, to Boston. And so, as far as I'm concerned, I don't live. I didn't come from the mid Midwest. I came from the mid, 
absolute smack dab in the mid. So that's where well, I came from. So have, have the Boston Chamber of Commerce and San Francisco <laughs> Chamber uh, been announcing that they're only 1,733 miles from Kearney, Nebraska? <laughs> no. <laughs> I better get on that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, talk about that this first trip, which is a gift from your husband. And uh, you had been a family therapist for, well, let's not count the years, but that was your career. That's right. That's right. And and so this was this was a gift, I, I guess, a retirement gift. It was a gift. I had been working with um, a lot of families that had um, a drug addictions and all types of real tragedy in the the families, and it, it was a very good career, but it was very heavy. And I was kind of dragging around and dragging around these stories with me. And so this was my husband's way of separating me from that. And sure enough, what do I do? I go and I invest my whole being in understanding families in another culture and what brings family to the table. That was what I wanted to know. How is it that families in Europe seemed, at that time anyway, to come together in a different way than we do in the United States? And it's not to say one is better or worse, it's just different. And so I was looking at um, both France and Italy as someone on the outside. I didn't come with answers. I came with questions. I wanted to understand what's it like to live in those homes? What's it like to sit at those tables? So I was invited into the homes and to those tables to find out. And it was the most glorious glorious experience of my life it just you know people just opened up their homes and the the french that defined by what you just stated is not the that's not the french uh folks that i met um because i came in with a different purpose they knew i wanted to know about their favorite foods they knew i wanted to know about them and it was a just a huge opening of of uh, who they were and I was surprised at how open they were and well, I think you were also you were in the provinces you were outside of Paris I was I was and I didn't spend too much time writing about Paris because most people kind of know that and I was traveling with Josiane who is my dear friend. Oh, I believe I met. Yeah, yes, yes, of course you did. And uh, she still lives near me, not far, here in California. And um, so we went to her families and her um, French family throughout Fran France. And also um, we went to some of her friends' homes. So they already knew what I was coming for. And they just... Um, laid out the red carpet uh, for me, and they were, and and I did not speak French, and most of them did not speak English. But it was through Josie, and all this has come about, and um, it was it was just this most heartwarming experience, and I had the same experience or similar um, when I went to Italy the first time, and um, that was with Lisa Young. And uh, she just opened up, she said to me and to uh, my husband and I, um, do you want to go, do you want to visit Italy or do you want to experience Italy? And there was no question 
we had no choice but to go and experience Italy through all the senses in every way we could. So that well, you certainly did, and you arrive. Uh, you might mention uh, Lisa's home in. Uh, I think you arrived on the evening of, of Festa di Poder. Right, right, yes, <laughs> and, and that I she had somewhat. Um, given us a heads up about what to expect, but we had no idea what a wonderful, glorifying, you know, it was just this wonderful festival. And it was on the front step of the house that we were renting from Lisa, her her house. And she had decided that she wanted to come with us or come meet us over there so that she could introduce us around and show us what what to experience. And it was just wonderful. It couldn't have been a more perfect, perfect uh, invitation. And well, describe what a, what the fest is all about, this particular festival. Well, this one is the Harvest Festival. So it's on the first weekend of September every year. And in this little tiny, tiny village of Pudere de Montemorano, uh, they, it really is, the Pudere means the farms of Montemorano. And uh, that means that it is not even a village. It is a wide spot in the road. It's where uh, the farms were, where the farmers' workers lived or the serfs lived at one time. And right at the um, top of the hill is where her home was, where we were staying for two weeks. And um, the festival was taking place right on that doorstep, <laughs> right on the doorstep. And it was like, well, you have to get through. So that was one way. But it was um, at the down at the bottom of the hill, they had uh, this food festival where, where all of the little Nonas, the little grandmothers of the community had made their very special pastas. And they only make it for this particular event. And no, 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 you can never have that recipe. Don't even ask for it. Don't even think that you could ask for it. It will not happen. And therefore, uh, just enjoy this wonderful, wonderful thing. And so it was the all the array of aromas and savory and sweet. And it was all the types of grilled meats and uh, several different kinds of pasta and several different kinds of of uh, the contorni, the vegetables, and all everything, you know, just one after another. And, and as that was one of our first introductions to eating in Italy, and it starts at one hour, and three or four hours later, you're still sitting there, but you're still drinking wine. <laughs> and, and we staggered up the hill to dance the night away. And... Um, we actually do have some old, old video taken of that. <laughs> oh, that would be cute to show. Yeah, it would be fun if we could get, if we could find that old video camera. And, but anyway, it was it was just uh, such an introduction. But but there was more than just that. It was the traditions that were so embedded in that particular community that you would only find that tortelli there, that type of pasta there. You could not find that down the road. No, 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 no. That is not available there. You can only find a certain kind of, they did a, um, oh gosh, what was the name of that? It was a, a type of poetry that that was more of a, 
that they were going back and forth, a contrasto or something to that effect, um, where they were competing teams of men competing back and forth against each other, and they were challenging each other in rhyme. And it was the most amazing, amazing experience. An Italian poetry slam. It really was. And it was on the spot, on the spot. You know, some they would give them um, a, a topic and off they'd go, you know. And it was amazing. Plus, they were absolutely excellent, excellent dancers. So, you know, here you in this little tiny place. This And it's in very southern uh, part of Tuscany. It's um, probably three or four hours, three hours from... Um, Florence to the north and probably three hours south to Rome. So it's really high up in these hills that are um, nobody makes much effort to get to um, unless they're looking for Etruscan ruins and that type of thing. But, well, hopefully everybody that reads your book won't you know, make a mad dash <laughs> and you become the, you know, the, the Franny May of uh, oh. that neighborhood. <laughs> well, I hope so. I hope not. I hope that doesn't happen. You hope yeah, not, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Well, what, what was the local quaff? What were you drinking? Well, they had uh, local wines. and mm-hmm. um, Anything in particular that jumped out at you? Well... Because it was local, it was it was almost more of a rosé, which is kind of odd um, now that I think about it. But they were pulling these bottles out from underneath the table. So you know, I don't know if they were jugs or how they came. I honestly don't know. Certainly none of this is going to find its way to America. No, no. It's all going to stay no, there. No, it, it, it will not come here. But it was something, you know, that they were so proud of. And that was really one of the things that I just absolutely uh, loved and embraced. Now, I don't know if you've been watching any Stanley Tucci's. Um, I, 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 no, I've not. I've seen, a, I've, I think I saw him on uh, CBS on a, doing an interview, but no, I have not okay, seen it. Okay, well, it's, I think it's on PBS. But anyway, one of the things I love about his new series is that he goes to many of the same places I went. And he revels in the same kinds of Oh my gosh, this is so wonderful. This is, and you can only find this here. And one, and so that was something that I. Stanley is also Italian. Yes. Right. Which is helps. And I'm not. (laughs) So I. Well, you're doing a good job of assimilating. (laughs) Well, it's been, it's been such a joy. It's been, um, it's opened up not only worlds to me, but um, it has opened up. Um, the culinary scene to me that I had not anticipated. I thought, you know, I write about it, but I certainly did not think for one moment that I was going to be doing any cookbooks or uh, cooking demonstrations, of which is um, shocking to me. <laughs> I have well, to you say. seem to be enjoying it and, and getting a nice, a nice audience for it. Well, uh, just yeah. to bounce back to Stanley very quickly, sure. and we'll come back to uh, to your kitchen. Uh, he did a film all my maybe twenty five years ago called Big Night, yes. uh, where he was uh, he and his brother he was Primo and Segundo, uh, all played by oh the actor will come to me I I can see him he played he was Monk, yes, um, and Ian Holm played the uh, restaurant owner across the street, who made uh, you know basically uh, red gravy and uh, and and pasta. And uh, Stanley's uh, brother was cooking this very elaborate stuff from Tuscany, uh, and they were waiting for Louis Prima to show up. 
with San Patera, with, probably without San Patera and, and the and the witnesses. And it's just wonderful, uh, elaborate thrill uh, about food. Isabella Rossellini is in it, big night. Yes. But uh, let's go back to your Carol in the kitchen. Oh. So you're, uh, ah, obviously you uh, you were cooking all of these recipes. Well, we did test them. Um, um, yes, mm-hmm. and w- uh, what happened over this time of the pandemic, which was really kind of an embrace of love, um, which is an odd odd thing to say. But right about the time that I was getting ready to put out this past French book, um, which mm-hmm. came out this past August, and um, I everything shut down. And so um, I asked the people in my newsletter if they would help me do the testing because I could not go out to a lot of the get, get the foods to test and taste and well, you also would have gained 100 pounds Carol. well i that's or your husband would have yes, gained 100 pounds yes we would have <laughs> plus as you know i really wanted to know if the recipes that i was putting out to my readers that they were readable that they were that they made sense did they connect with people and what worked what didn't work so i had about 85 different people help me do those recipes, those French recipes. And then when this Italian book rolled around really soon, because there's only eight months in between these two books coming out, um, I had them come back and a number of them helped me out with the Italian recipes. And that was fun. And so what they were supposed to do was if they, they chose a recipe, I gave them a list of the recipes that are in the book. I think there's 15 or 19, I can't recall, in the Italian book, and they could choose what they wanted to try, and I would send them the recipe, and they would check it out and let me know what worked, what didn't work, what do we need to replace, you know, is it too salty, is it, do you need more salt, do you need this or that, and so they were able to do that, and then they took pictures of their um, finished dishes, and it was just joyful. It was just a fun thing. So each month, then I would share all the pictures and and on my newsletter, and then all those people that helped me test um, have their names in the acknowledgement in the back of both books. And so they're there. They helped me. And I did a lot of the testing myself. But I kind of knew in the back of my mind what would work and um and I had done it, you know, something like making the fresh pasta. That's been <laughs> been an interesting challenge um, because my husband has decided he would do the making of the pasta, rolling it out and putting it through the machine. And so he starts out by using the recipe that I had had in probably the last four books. I've had it in four books now. And um, I realized that you can't just say, you can say I'm bleached flour, but you have to be very specific about the flour. If you, and what was available during the pandemic was bleached enriched flour, which does not make good, good pasta. It falls apart. It's too dry. And so it was, people were not having good, good time with that. And so it was going back and analyzing, really becoming a chemist to realize, okay, this is really, this speaks to where we are, what we need to do, and what we need to look for. 
So now uh, my husband and I, in fact, we're supposed to do, um, we're doing a cooking class on Saturday of this week for our yacht club. And we're teaching them how to make the fresh pasta and also how... A yacht, a yacht club in Palo Alto? Uh, yes, in uh, Redwood City. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, they don't even have yacht clubs in Palo Alto anymore. Oh, they don't have water in Palo Alto. <laughs> well, they, no, they do not. They do not. No, do not. Yeah. And so uh, we're doing this for, uh, and we're doing uh, salt and boca um, and um, the veal scallopini type of, of meal that, came, that I got the recipe from in Rome. And so I'm doing that and he's doing, doing the pasta. And so that's, it's going to be fun. And uh, we'll see how that rolls out. I've had a number of bookstores that want me to do that type of thing. And I thought, wait a minute, this is actually not about cooking. It's about the people. It's about, you know, <laughs> somehow this is kind of extrapolated. Well, it'll, it'll be enhanced if people are eating. Everything is enhanced with good food and yes, good wine. Yes. You know, it's all... Uh, you know, just like books, it's all, it's all part of life. It's all part of the elements that make a rich life. Uh, it's wonderful. It's been just great. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah. The, uh, I'm just thinking of, you mentioned veal. I have, you know, a large number of, uh, of readers and listeners in the Bay Area since I lived there for 35 years. Uh, where does one find good veal outside of New York? Oh, um, we have a wonderful, in fact, it's called Bianchini's, which is a wonderful mm -hmm. Italian <laughs> food store here in San Carlos, and I live right near San Carlos, uh, or part of it, and uh, they have a wonderful array of, of meats, and I can get uh, veal scallopini, and for people who don't want to eat veal, uh, they can use pork uh, tenderloin, or they could use um, chicken, and so my my son, who lives with us right now, is doesn't eat beef or pork, darn it but um he does eat a lot of chicken and fish so well, i would make i would make him cook for himself oh, you know yeah. we're a little crazy in america with you know i don't eat this i can't eat yeah. this i'm allergic to that <laughs> you know you, you need five different menus for five different people I, at a dinner. I know it i know it yesterday i fixed um uh, i grilled uh lamb chops for easter and had mm. Um, Cornish game hen for him, but you know the the truth is he he loves to cook, so he cooks a lot for us, and um, it's just it's wonderful. He he comes up with these wonderful vegetarian kinds of things, and he's not he's not vegetarian, but wonderful foods that I wouldn't try, and I love that. I love trying anything new, and he did a lot of the testing of some of these recipes, and so that's been fun to see, you know, who grabs onto it and who doesn't. And um, so that's been, that's been a, a lovely thing. Who, who, you know, it's nice when we can amortize our children, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> well, as long as it's in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, you know, you talk about Amalfi, uh, not to be confused with Joey Amalfitano, the former manager of the San Francisco Giants, but he probably probably came from Amalfi. Probably. You, you talk about, these are not Meyer lemons, these are basketball-sized lemons. That's right. Talk about, you know, because most people don't know about this. And, of course, your favorite after-dinner drink, limoncello. Oh, so talk about you, and 
I, I believe it was Michael and Michele, whatever the guy's name was, that was leading you around. I want to take his tour. Yes, well, um, I saw him not terribly long ago still doing tours. And he probably doesn't know that I have quoted you know, a lot of him. <laughs> oh, don't tell him. Anyway, his name is Michelangelo. Um, but he, uh, I, I shortened it to Mikel or whatever. And... Um, the thing about the lemons in Amalfi are just, it's, it's a wondrous fruit. And literally, the, the um, lemons are larger than, they're about the size of grapefruits. And they have a, uh, um, they're not bitter. Um, the, the skin is what you use for the um, limoncello. And you don't use the juice in the limoncello, you just use the skin, the yellow part. And, um, but I have since been on a number of culinary tours to uh, Amalfi. I traveled with a whole group of uh, culinarians and chefs and uh, restaurateurs and um, on a number of different occasions. And we went to Amalfi and saw how they made it. And um, then I have since, uh, I've got a recipe in, in the book this time so uh, I really and when you eat the lemons there you bite into them and literally they are not sour you know they are um, it's not even like it's it's like biting into a um, orange um, it's but it's a little more succulent so it's it's a very different type of lemon and um, I have Myers lemon in my backyard um, that I could use, but it doesn't make the same kind of limoncello that you would experience it. Are you able to find those uh, Amalfi uh, lemons? In your not really. Not really. I do go to Sagona's, which has all different kinds of wonderful um, produce, and I, I do use some of their lemons there that are a little larger and um, that's what I choose, but but you have to, and that was one of the things that I learned in both France and Italy is that you use what is available, and it's it's all about place, and region, and you know you ate what was available in the season that it was available, and what you could afford, that was mm -hmm. the name of the game, and so it also structured why what uh, traditional or the. Uh, cucina povera type of the poor man's kitchen or the peasant kitchen. Um, that's what that's about. It's really nothing more than this is what we've got. Use it, eat it, you know, <laughs> go with it. Well, it's much the same thing here, you know, in, in France where people like Alice Waters and, right. oh, I, I, uh, I forget the girl's name, the woman's name at the Zuni Cafe. It'll come back to me. Uh, but they uh, learning how to use what's available in your neighborhood. Right. Uh, lo local produce, local products, uh, teaching people uh, that there is a market for that, or basically underwriting them by guaranteeing a, a, a crop of lettuce uh, that Alice would use in a restaurant when it didn't exist, uh, and, and teaching people to be very conscious of the seasonality uh, of, and the, uh, the locality of the product that they're eating. That's right. That's right. And one of, actually, one of the trips that I took um, back to Italy and traveled down into Campania and that whole region was we were looking for, searching for the uh, Mediterranean di diet 
and where did that come from and what does that constitute? And I was traveling with um, uh, cardiologists and again, uh, nurses and doctors and um, chefs and, you know, uh, wine magazine and all different kinds of of folks who are interested in the food and the culture and that that way. And so one of the things that we were looking for, was searching for, was what can what can you find that is local? And um, I think some of the people that were on that tour had just started um, the slow food movement. And that was back, you know, um, in the early 2000s, I think it was. And um, the reason the slow food movement began out of um, where to uh, where did that start Turin uh, Torino um, yeah and um, that's where it started but but the main thing was it started in Rome because the little grandmothers there decided that they would set up shop across the street from the fast food movement which was McDonald's and it was there come to our tables eat what we serve you know we're your grandmothers we're your mothers we will give you the good food and so it was uh, a backlash to the fast food movement is a slow food movement which is now worldwide and in um, all kinds of chapters all over the place and it's really about and I think Alice Waters was part of that in that um, really looking at what's available and what's uh, and she was promoted in in this movement too, but one of the things that happens is that some of the um, foods that, that we can get at some of the uh, farmers markets are so expensive that most people wouldn't be able to purchase them. You know, a couple of dollars for a, an apple or a peach, or, you know, and so it's really trying to put it back into what's available to people, the, the common man, um, what what can they buy and, and really rejoice in. We don't have to have um, all of these wondrous markets to be able to put on a really good dinner and serve our family well. So that's, you know, that's kind of, I was focusing on all these different little aspects of what pleases a family, what brings a family to the table. And I also found, and that was really what um, A Cup of Redemption was about, was about the wartime efforts uh, that went on for World War II still penetrate the psyche of the people today. And what it meant to them was they had lost so much during World War II that even today, the importance of keeping family close is imperative. And now we see it here. You know, I've been living here now for twelve years, and uh, lucky for me, my daughter is here. She married a French kid about thirteen years ago, so that I have. Uh, we we tend to have lately. We've been having Sunday dinners uh, or late afternoon Sunday dinners every Sunday, yes. which has really become a. A lovely tradition for us at this point, um, but you know, going back to tradition, I, you know, in, in Kearney, Nebraska, when you came home from church on Sunday, no, I don't mean to to minimize it. Uh, I I spent the first eight years of my life in Monongahela, Pennsylvania, which was just a step above Appalachia before I got to New York. Uh-huh. Uh, but 
there was wonderful food. I remember that when the fruit guy came in front of the house, I could smell the peaches at 30 meters. Uh, it was just wonderful, wonderful, fresh, locally produced stuff. And no one knew they were eating locally harvested products. It was just, that's what we had. That's right. So uh, I'm, I'm wondering if your Sunday afternoon, uh, you know, uh, roast or uh, chicken was not part of that same um, fresh, fresh green beans, you know, not... Uh, uh, not the green giant? Well, um, it was, and it wasn't. So I grew up mm. in the fifties. Um, I was born in 45, but, um, I grew up in the, mostly in the fifties. And one of the things about being in the middle of the country is that, um, at that time was when the jolly green giant was kind of coming into being. And so, um, if you wanted to have fresh fish, that was that wasn't available, but you could get tuna fish in a can and salmon in a can. And I will not eat salmon now because I don't like, you know, that just brings back um, those memories. Yeah. And uh, which is really sad because it's really quite good. But um, certainly we had wonderful beef uh, being back there in, in uh, Kansas and Nebraska. You had really good beef. You had, uh, I mean, excellent. So, that was something that we just took for granted. It's what it is. It's what's available. You eat what you got, and uh, you don't make a whole lot of noise about it. But there wasn't a lot of um, experimentation in certainly in my family. Although you know I'm half Swedish, so there was that. But I we did not eat Swedish food necessarily <laughs> you know? lingonberries yes yes that yes. yes um and the Swedish rye bread that my grandmother would make every day but uh, that was pretty wondrous but the thing about it was that they didn't use any much more than salt and pepper so when I moved away and I moved to Colorado um, like 15 minutes after I graduated from high school. Uh, I moved to Colorado, and suddenly the world opened with, oh, there's tacos, there's flavor, there's other things, there's, oh, let's check this. And I have just been on this uh, whirlwind of trying to find all these wonderful different flavors. And that's really part of what has uh, compelled me to travel. Um, that and wines, and I love history. And my husband and I, you know, really engage in um, that type of search, you know, when we go um, traveling. And so that's that's what we just rejoice in. But back. No, it's very resonant in, in, in your work because I, I can feel. I can feel the passion. I get a sense of your husband knows a, a lot about a lot of things, uh, which is a good thing. <laughs> don't and, don't uh, tell him yeah. that. <laughs> Sounds you, you've lucked out yes. there. Are you On page 220, you're talking about tortelli. It's, and I, you mentioned a product called Mostarda okay. that very few people know about. Right. Uh, I only discovered it sometime last year. There's a fabulous and expensive Venetian restaurant here in Paris called Mori. Venice bar, Massimo Mori, and he, they make their own mostarda. Mm -hmm. mostarda. Mm -hmm. Explain it to the listeners. What is mostarda and how do you use okay. it? Okay, and um, so mostarda is like, a, it's a fruit compote. Um, it's, it's made of, it could be apples and pears, and it has a little piquant um, 
catch to it. I don't I don't remember if it's ginger or what whatever else is added into it when you make it. And but it's added to the um this is for um uh, what's it called? Um the the squash. It's yeah, it's oh, okay. the squash filling. Um it's the butternut squash filling. So you have mm -hmm. you you roast the butternut squash. And then you um, get it all pulverized, and so it's um, oh, not liquefied, but certainly soft. And uh, then you mix in this mustarda, which is really the um, spice, the the flavor that instills in into the um, squash. And then you—that's the filling that goes inside these wonderful little pillows of of pasta. And so um, now you. Terrence got the um, advanced reader copy. I will I, I will send you the real book, of which is actually supposed to arrive on my doorstep today. I'm supposed to get okay. my first books coming in today. And when we were doing this testing, we realized we needed to have a full recipe. So I have a full recipe in this newer book um, that that is wonderful it really helps you get a sense of it you can yes you can order it or buy it um, but you can make it and it's not that difficult to make and it really makes a difference to the flavor of these wonderful little pillows of um, butternut squash and are you, are you using it what, what else are you using it for well i have what do they use it i for? haven't used it for much of well, i think you could put it on um pork loin you could you know it's it's kind of it's almost like a chut a, a little chutney like um, in a sense kind of yes i mean in terms of its usage yes yes and i have looked online to see what else people are using it for and there are a lot of different um uses i just made enough for that particular recipe to see if it was any good mm -hmm. yeah and i loved it and and there was something about it it just lifted the flavor up it just kind of boing, you know, just it was just this wonderful, wonderful thing that happens to it. And um, so then I realized the importance of having that particular ingredient in that recipe. It wasn't just, oh, let's just throw this in. No, sure. it was really, really essential um, to give it that particular flavor. And I was, I, um, I think I put it in some of the chapters where we're already moved on beyond Milan but I think that was one of the places that that had come come up uh, or that's where it's from uh, or what was it was it Lombardy anyway um, so you know there were so many well if you'll you know I, I look forward to the, getting the actual book uh, if you will send me the, uh, the recipe for the mostarda and the instruction and possibly a photograph uh, I'll incorporate it into some future coverage oh, sweet. so that people who are listening to this can actually get a, a little sense of all oh, of that. Oh, that'd be lovely. That, I can do that. I can do it. Carol, it's, it's been wonderful to catch up. Yes. Thank you. Uh, I, I, can, I can hear the joy in this experience for you. Uh, and, you know, I, I would, what is your mantra out of all this? I could probably write it for you, but I'd like to hear it from you. Uh, what should people be getting out of this book and your books in general? I hope that what people get is that, um, well, in fact, one reviewer said it for me. 
He said, it's like I've taken them by the hand and led them through the villages and point by point have tried to show them what wondrous things to experience. And that's what I want you to do. That is what that is a that would be a joy for me. I, I can echo that sentiment. Uh, once again, uh, my guest has been Carol Bumpus. The book is a September to remember. I don't want to do the song searching for culinary pleasures at the Italian table. Carol, it's always a delight. Congratulations. Uh, I knew you when. As they yes, say. you did. You were the first. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, and please share your comments and suggestions at terrence at paris-expat.com. That's T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E at paris-expat.com. And visit paris-expat.com to sign up for my five weekly newsletters about the City of Light. Until next time, à bientôt à Paris.